I wanted to bring today's episode to the podcast talking all about how to be your own advocate when you're on the fertility journey. Many times when we receive that low AMH and our high FSH diagnosis, we could be in fear, feeling confused, frustrated, angry. We may not know which way to turn. We may be told by an REI or an OBGYN that we need to rush to IVF. We need to go to donor eggs and we might be feeling very hopeless. So this episode is all about how to be your own advocate and really look at your fertility journey completely differently, seeing there's different modalities that we're going to be talking about and how to use those modalities as you see fit. But most of all, how to really trust your own body and really be able to listen to the signs and know that it is possible that you can conceive. Excited for you to listen to this episode. Let's go. Excited to announce the launch of our Fab for Life Naturals Fertility Collection. Get professional grade supplements designed to support reproductive health for both men and women. Prepare your body for a successful pregnancy with Fab for Life Naturals Fertility Collection. Use the code LAUNCH15, that's L-A-U-N-C-H-1-5 to save 15% and check out the fertility collection at fflnaturals.com. That's F. F-L-N-A-T-U-R-A-L-S.com, F-F-L-Naturals.com. I didn't need to go to donor eggs. Obviously, I don't regret it. I have beautiful children. I could have done things differently. I was still cycling back in my 20s. I could have looked at my health, the environmental toxins, the stress I was under. Many, many women are being told their eggs are too old. That's an assumption. You can't test egg quality. Many times it's the man. It's the man who's got a food sensitivity or the zinc deficiency. There can be a root cause to these quote unquote period problems. The doctor will pass you a pill without any question of why. Why is IVF the first step? Because we believe it should be the last step. Welcome to Get Pregnant Naturally, where functional medicine and natural fertility solutions will help you get pregnant and have your baby. Welcome back. I'm Sarah Clark, founder of Fab Fertile and your host. I believe the functional approach is the first step for anyone on the fertility journey, and my aim is to help you get pregnant naturally. Today, I'm welcoming Jane Gleason to the podcast, and we're digging into how to be your own advocate when you're trying to conceive. Jane has a master's degree in medical surgical nursing from Emory University and is a licensed acupuncturist. After decades in Western healthcare, she wanted more tools in her box to help people, and so she studied traditional Chinese medicine and acupuncture, and for the last 25 years, she has devoted her practice to caring for people who have suffered from infertility and miscarriage. Thanks so much for listening. I'm so thankful that you're here. Make sure you hit subscribe or follow. And if you know someone else who is on the fertility journey, please share this podcast with them. Hey, Jane, excited to have you on the podcast. Hi, Sarah. So, so excited about being here. You have such a great podcast. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Can you kind of share with our listeners how you came to do this work? I know you have quite a story. Okay. I was in nursing for decades got to the point and had done all everything from nurse surgical intensive care to ER work to sexual assault treatment center to clinics in underserved areas. But I did get to the point in nursing where I felt that so much of what I was dealing with, well, a lot of it was iatrogenic disease, meaning problems that were induced either by the treatment or by the medication. I just felt that there was never enough time to really look at things holistically. We give a lot of lip service to that, but we don't really do that. And I just felt, well, there must be a better way. I need some more tools in my healing toolbox. 
I'd never had any experience with traditional Chinese medicine or acupuncture, but I thought, well, I want to look at this. I looked at it. I found out that you needed to go to a accredited school and take a national board and learn acupuncture and the other components of traditional Chinese medicine. Went off to China for part of my internship, uh, went to a school here in Wisconsin, and then set up my practice. At the beginning, it was as an independent practitioner. It was care of anything, neck pain, hip pain, psoriasis. You know, I took all comers. But then I've done a lot of work in women's health and little by little word spread because I helped someone achieve conception, my small part in it. And pretty soon my whole patient appointment book was people seeking to conceive and struggling. So that was so for the last 20 years, I've been seeing primarily couples and women who are trying to have a baby. And I combine Eastern and Western medicine in my approach. Yeah, so we're focusing on helping couples with low AMH and our high FSA, so diminished ovarian reserve, premature ovarian insufficiency. You know, I had my journey with POI. I was diagnosed at 28, had both my kids with donor eggs, and then years later discovered functional nutrition and functional medicine. Sort of interesting with, you know, 25 years ago when this was going on, it was basically you better rush to IVF. You know, donor eggs are your only option. I didn't even get a second opinion, and I did went to that and was lucky enough to have my kids there. My daughter's 21 and my son's 19. They both left the home and were empty, empty nesters. This just happened about a month or so ago. They've all, gone, all gone westward, <laughs> as they do, and hopefully being able to stay employed. But yeah, so when you get that diagnosis, you know, there's a lot of stress that comes, you know, with that. And people can feel like a lot of pressure. We may get the diagnosis, go from the OBGYN to the REI saying, okay, you know, IVF is our next step. So how does someone really deal with like when they're trying to conceive naturally, the stress around that piece? And a lot of it is that roller coaster, right? Where you're excited each month, and then the hope comes crashing down. Like, you know, what are you seeing there? Yeah. And, you know, I think you mentioned something that my heart aches when someone is 28, and they get a diagnosis that, oh, your ovaries are not working. And then the guilt that might come, let's say they did the responsible thing and went on birth control pills at age 16 because they were sexually active or they need, wanted to, or a doctor told them to. And then maybe when they found the right time in their life to start a family or the right person they want to start with, and then the ovaries aren't functioning. It's first, they have to deal with that, those feelings that maybe they caused this, they did something wrong. But as far as, you know, getting that label and improving FSH, AMH, I have to tell you, I'm, you know, of an age where since I have been doing this a long time, there was a time when AMH was never even tested. They did not know what AMH was. They figured, oh, you know, it's some kind of hormone. We don't really know what it means. And there still isn't total agreement on exactly how it relates to the quality of an egg or even FSH. As I mentioned in my book, Who Stole My Ovaries, because I think people can feel like who took my ovaries are supposed to be there and functioning. And I tell people to reframe some of these awful labels like advanced maternal age or non-responder if they're doing IVF. And one of the things that I like to explain about FSH and AMH, and here's where I'll mention fact, fact, and then I take a leap. I take a kind of different worldview, if you will. Follicle stimulating hormones, perfect example. It naturally, as we age, it rises and even not in every woman who's of reproductive age, it rises to get that egg chosen, growing, mature, follicle-stimulating hormone. Well, as we age 
our eggs need a little more encouragement than a 7.2 or whatever, it will, in my mind, rise to uh, meet the occasion. It gets hard. I have many, many women in their early 40s and mid 40s who are ovulating and having regular periods. Their FSHs are high. But in my mind, it's not the body failing. It's the body compensating and going higher. I can name a number of case histories. One, her FSH was 25, which is very high. She was probably at that point 37 or 38. And the doctor told her she had a one in a million chance of getting pregnant. She also had wanted, probably needed to lose some weight. She had some things that lifestyle things that she could change. And she came to me because she did not want to do IVF. And she was very angry that she was told that it was all due to this one number. And we worked together for probably about five months and she got pregnant naturally. And as a matter of fact, when she got pregnant, she sent a baby picture to the doctor and said, here's my one in a million baby. And very, very happy ending. I'm not saying that occurs for everyone, but I tell people you have a chance every single month. Now, some people will try to say that, first of all, AMH is what the antral follicles, the follicles that are kind of in the batting lineup, the big ones that will be chosen each month. An 18-year-old woman might have 10 on each ovary. A 40-year-old might have four on each ovary. But they spit out this hormone. The name is AMH, the shortened name. So if you don't have a lot of antral follicles, that number is going to be low. And that number we want high. We want the FSH low because that indicates your body doesn't have to work that hard. But as I tell people, let's say you have a total of three antral follicles on each ovary. When you ovulate in a month, that doesn't mean you had a total of six. It doesn't mean that you now have a total of five. The next month, a total of four. No, a teeny tiny follicle or potential egg that is not in the batting lineup gets into the antral follicles, is growing and can then be your next one that comes out. But it's still in Western medicine, the viewpoint is that well, if your AMH isn't very high, you do not have very many antral follicles, and therefore it's not going to be easy for you to conceive. If a woman is verifying her ovulation, timing her intercourse, and having ovulation, she can conceive, regardless of the fact that it's low. And so that's the whole reframing thing. When a woman is going through ovulation induction, and maybe she's told, oh, like for example, with IVF, if she's not producing a lot of eggs or a lot of them aren't growing and she's then at maximum doses of hormones and she's labeled a poor responder. I say, no, 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 no. You are not a poor responder. Your body is looking around at all of this synthetic and exogenous hormone coming in and saying, you don't really want children, do you? You know, and it's putting the brakes on because these medications in IVF are powerful and they will stimulate the ovaries. And when a body doesn't, you have to say why. The body wisdom is saying, um, maybe not. You know, So taking those numbers and I want to say reframing them is, I think, the first step, knowing that there's the possibility there. And then you might work with your practitioner about, well, do I take this supplement or what can I change about eating or different things? Did you change some lifestyle things then after your diagnosis? Oh, no, I'm 53. So this was like 25 years ago. I didn't figure this out until years later. And that's not, oh. yeah, not, you know, now why? And so I had both my kids with donor eggs 
And then my health took a nosedive in my 30s and then discovered functional nutrition, functional medicine went, oh, wait a minute, there's probably something I could have done when I was diagnosed with that. But, you know, I didn't know all these seemingly unrelated health issues from obviously you know, the irregular cycles. And, you know, I had chronic UTIs and sinusitis and colds and flus, all these things. I took tons of antibiotics. And yeah, so it was, and we see this a lot with like a lot of the couples we work, people are very, they know their numbers, AMH and FSH off by heart, right? But no one's looking at the thyroid. Maybe you've got like high antibodies. No one's looking at your adrenals and all the stress that you've, you know, got. And we, maybe that diagnosis where the doctor told you you're going to struggle this is going to be hard and it, you know you're one in a million and you've literally that has been embedded in your you know subconscious and you don't even see a path forward and so therefore you're not even going to explore all the rest of it you know a study came out in 2022 talking about amh and fsh are poor predictors of live birth outcomes we're looking at the wrong thing right and so you know some of these numbers are used i think in the fertility industry to potentially like with AMA is just a panic the crap out of people and it doesn't serve any purpose. Obviously the, you know, numbers are, you want to be aware of your blood chem and see what's going on and being empowered with your health, but then it's not just to take it. And from a conventional standpoint, you know, they're telling you there's nothing you can do. You better rush to IVF. And I can't tell you how many people are told, you know, with have the low AMH under one, the FSH over 10 being told, you know, donor eggs, or they had no problem having their first child. And then here we are with secondary fertility issues. All of a sudden, I've got premature, you know, primary ovarian insufficiency. And it just came out of the blue. And I'm in premature menopause, and I'm done. And so there's other things you can do to look at your health. And we take a functional medicine, functional nutrition approach. And this is similar, you know, you're raising testing and, you know, looking at, you know, mind, body, spirit piece of this. So it is, it's very empowering, because we just think we're at the mercy of the clinic pumping us full of hormones. Like I see people, 16 IVFs, this got what, like seven IVFs, just talked to you today, like crazy amount of stuff that's going on and all those hormones coming into your body. And we don't even know, we don't know, you know, what that's doing to our health down the road. That's right. And, you know, I've looked pretty closely at the stats on breast cancer and some people will, you know, depending on which research you read, I've had patients who finally had their baby after many, many IVFs and then got breast cancer. Can you say they're related? Some research would say yes, some would say no. And that's the frustrating part. But you mentioned thyroid again, and you were so right on with that podcast you did on that. And I don't want to do an advertisement for the Pope Paul Institute, but I don't know if you knew about the history of birth control pills. It was when they were being, it was finally legal. They were finally on the market back in the 60s, 50s, 60s. The Catholic Church is against birth control pills in their dogma. And so the Pope at the time, Pope Paul, somebody, the sixth or something, he challenged Catholic scientists and doctors to come up with ways where women could plan their families without using birth control pills. They have volumes of research. The Catholic scientists and doctors were the ones who figured out that the fertile mucus that comes at your fertile time, under the microscope is ferned and has certain qualities that are clear and slippery and so on, because they wanted women to know, they figured out all these body signs. The Institute is still there in Omaha, Nebraska, that it's a fertility care center for people who want to conceive naturally, and because the church also discourages IVF. And one of the things they do is patients back home monitor their thyroid very closely with simple body signs, such as pulse. When your thyroid is high and pushing hard, 
your pulse is going to be faster. So just like documenting your temperature, like on a temperature chart to see if you have that spike that shows ovulation, they have women taking their pulses three times a day. Talk about a hands-on, pay attention to your body thing. And then they really titrate even very small amounts of thyroid to get a person back on track, not the kind of usual one size fits all thyroid medication with, you know, and for so many, it's and absolutely thyroid has to be in the correct zone. It really does lead to shorter time to pregnancy, but then there's no aftercare. Patients don't know. Some doctors will say, well, well, you just have to stay on it the rest of your life. They don't necessarily, you want to be able to have a plan to say, okay, I needed it now. And now I need to maybe go off of it slowly. So my own body, there is a negative feedback where if you take an exogenous source, your own thyroid will say, oh, I got plenty here. I can, I can just rest. So yeah, there are, are many, many things that can be done to make for a shorter time to pregnancy that we just don't look at in Western medicine. Yeah. And the REI might want to have, you know, just look at your TSH. They want it under two. No one's looking at the full panel. And then people are, you know, tell me they're on medication. They're maybe on a small amount, maybe they're on a larger amount. No one's done the full evaluation. And the, you know, the thyroid is the canary in the coal mine. So when that's off, other things in the body are off too. And medication can be part of it. So it's not the goal to get off the medication. It's the goal to, you know, to optimize your body. And so doing that, you know, that's just a band-aid if we're just doing, doing the medication. Or like medical gaslighting where you're like, my hair's falling out, my hands and feet are cold, and maybe I've got low amation, high fixation, low follicle count, but my thyroid's completely normal. Yeah. Is it? Is it? Yeah. It's called subclinical thyroid. And right. you can have, you know, and some doctors probably don't even recognize that, but it's for real. Mm-hmm. Subclinical meaning you have your body is telling you, like you say, the coldness and hair thinning. And then your numbers are normal because they've chosen not an arbitrary number of what is normal, but they don't account for the individual. Yeah, it could be normal, but is it optimal, right? Yeah. Yeah. So as you said, we do a deep dive on thyroids. People come to take a listen to that. So let's talk about, yeah, so as far as like frequency, and I think like in health class, no one's talking about like your cervical mucus and your basal body temperature. I literally just saw the, you know, at 12, we saw the video they showed us on birth and we were scared out of our minds thinking we could get pregnant every day, you know, day of the month and had no like, yeah, just completely disconnected from this whole thing. I think things are a little better now in this generation, but still not. Like if there's an issue with someone's cycle, I, I know my daughter who's like 21 and some of her friends too, like there's, they go to the doctor and they'll say, oh, you've got acne or you've got heavy cycles or you've got irregular cycles. Well, here's the pill. And then no one digs deeper, right? And so it's still, here we are in 2023, that's still being prescribed by doctors. And I've done episodes on, you know, birth control and how that can impact people go on it. They potentially can gain weight. They can have like all sorts of mood issues, you know, and we think, we don't realize the mood issues are from the pill. Then we go on other, you know, anti-anxiety and depression medication. And we just go down a slippery slope of down being on medication for the rest of our life. And meanwhile, it was the pill. And then all the things that we were going on beforehand. And most people that we work with, you know, if they have been on the pill, they typically weren't on for prevention. They were on for the heavy, the irregular, the acne. There was some reason why they were put on it. Obviously, there's a percentage that were on prevention. And they stay on it for years because not everyone that goes off the pill is dealing with, you know, fertility issues. But if you had something before, the pill is not going to fix it. But yeah, what's your take on like tracking the cycle, understanding your body and that sort of piece? 
Yeah. One of the things that, and you may have encountered people like this as well, and they come in and they've got all their readouts from all their apps and they might have a bracelet on. I've even had patients that use vaginal probes. They are looking at all of these things that are certainly helpful, can be helpful, but they are not always accurate. They are not flawless. They are not perfect. LA, I have a patient who, or in most of my patients will track and that's good, but it's a matter of putting all the pieces together. I have a patient who, she has four children. One of them she had in her forties, the third in her late thirties. She never had a positive LH ever, ever, ever. She has four children and she knew that never caught it. She also knew she just from tracking body signs, she knew that she ovulated day 19. A physician actually told her, no, 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 no. You made a mistake because you can not ovulate that late in your cycle and have a viable egg. Well, her cycle is 35 days long. Of course she could, or 36. So there's a lot of misconception, even in physicians. And I think that it's very important to, and once again, I said this Fertility Institute in Omaha that started through the Catholic Church, they have really brought to the forefront, they researched all the body signs, they discovered the mucus, temperature taking, all of this, and combined things, but not too many things. People make themselves crazy when they're and I do look through their temperature charts, but well, I only have people track temperatures to find out that they are indeed ovulating. And because it gets too focused on one more thing, even though it is a body sign. But I pretty much discourage people from having too many devices that they check all the time. And you need to establish what is happening with your body and identify your fertile window. But then I know this sounds contradictory. I say, you know what? A big part is having intercourse, not just during your fertile window. It is during all the times in the month to have a healthy sexual relationship. I realize people are dealing with low libido and lack of time and and stress and so on. But this is another sort of, I'm going to say, Jane Gleason worldview, fresh take fact, and then take a leap with me. But if you think about the ejaculate is only 2% sperm. The rest of it is, guess what? Estrogen is in there progesterone is in there, testosterone, what a great thing for libido, testosterone was given to some women for libido, but estrogen to help mature that egg, get the lining ready, progesterone, our corpus luteum puts it out after ovulation, the follicle becomes a corpus luteum puts out, but hey, we can always use more probably. So what a lovely symbiotic thing that mother nature created with the ejaculate. So twice a week, and then you don't have to make yourself crazier, put your partner on the spot, and then he's feeling unloved or something or pressured. You know, women can conceive and not have an orgasm. Men cannot. And, you know, we know that feeling an urge starts way before the bedroom, you know. And so I think that tracking is something that has gotten a little out of hand and we haven't gotten back to enough. We can never do enough with body science. So I really, I ask my patients so many questions about, okay, did your breasts get tender at ovulation? Did they get tender as you started bleeding? To point out to them, okay, this was probably from estrogen dropping. This was from progesterone. And patients love it. People love to know more about their bodies. It's just, we've gotten out of hand with all the, by the pee sticks and wear this bracelet. And so- there are a lot of supplements on the market, but are they right for your fertility? 
Many supplements can have fillers, binders, synthetic ingredients, dyes, preservatives, and chemical additives. Also, many supplements contain top allergens like gluten, soy, and dairy that can impede the chances of pregnancy success. I'm excited to introduce you to Fab for Life Naturals Fertility Collection, all designed to support reproductive health, free from top allergens, non-GMO, and lab-tested. Use the code LAUNCH15, L-A-U-N-C-H-1-5, to save 15%. And check out the full fertility collection at fflnaturals.com. That's F-F-L-N-A-T-U-R-A-L-S.com, fabforlifenaturals.com. Yeah, it is about being in touch with, and as you make dietary changes and all these sort of changes to your health, you get to realize that when the headache came along or when the breast tenderness or all these sort of things, and you really get to understand your body instead of just taking a pill for it. And then you mask the issue. Maybe you just keep, you know, forging on where the body was like, I need to rest. And we just, you know, if you have a flu or a cold or whatever it is, or certain types of your cycle, you want to be able to, you know, rest more rather than, you know, going out to conquer the world. And so, yeah, and interesting about the male piece of this too, just in my Facebook group, I got there, people are just talking about, you know, here I am making all these changes to my diet and lifestyle. I've changed my diet. I'm doing all these supplements, but my partner, he just can't seem to take the supplement. I remind him every day. I put his supplements out for him in a pill container. You know, I make these special foods for him and he's just like, Neh. and yeah, what's your take on that? Where like, where there's the woman, she's done all these things. And the guy typically is very open-minded, right? He'll do what he, but the woman starts to remind, really nag. And then we're in this whole, you know, unfavorable dance. <laughs> and you probably found this too. Most of the time, the man wants to have a baby, wants to start a family, but she is driving the bus. The man, I'm going to be all pro-man and then I'm going to switch <laughs> because they should be doing certain things. That's very important. And the man, you know, he doesn't have the baby in a womb and have that or that sense of maybe I am pregnant right now. He just knows he needs to show up, do the deed. And, you know, psychologically, they're not really a big part of things. Most of the time, it's the woman that comes. In my 25 years of doing this, I've had two men call to say they wanted to make an appointment for their wife. Okay. And that's very unusual. But the important thing is that I like to remind patients that, okay, you know, a lot of miscarriages are due to genetic issues. And I guarantee people, for example, that from the moment of conception, half the genes are from the woman, half the genes are from the man, even though a woman often gets sort of blamed or blames herself that she miscarried. Well, what determines our very genetic makeup in every cell in our body? Our nutrition. I mean, there's great research that no surprise here that the most fertile men eat a Mediterranean diet. They have the highest or the shortest times to pregnancy when they are trying. It's something where, you know, for some of my patients, the man may have azospermia. He may have a genetically no sperm. They need to get donor sperm or two women couples. They need to get donor sperm. Lots of reasons for doing that. So people will look at the donor, you know, college level, age, you know, what degrees they have or, you know, that sort of thing. And I say, I wish they could look at a diet log, a food log of theirs and choose their sperm donor based on that. We were saying the same thing. We're like, really? Okay. You're doing all this stuff. And we're like, what's the guy eating? What's his stress like? Yeah. Yeah. And there's ample research to show the effect of stress in the father, potential father and nutrition in the potential father. You know, and 
And I show people this, of course, I block out the names, a food log from a couple. She'd had five miscarriages and everything seemed, her numbers were all correct. Everything seemed fine. He was only 35, but already on CPAP at night, breathing issues because of his weight. His typical day, he would have 64 ounces of Mountain Dew. He ate fast food most of the time and not just one Big Mac or barbecued rib thing. He would have two or three filled with donuts. It was mostly all fat food and sugar. And he kind of sat there kind of like, well, yeah, I'm here because she keeps miscarrying kind of attitude. And it's hard for the woman to always be driving the bus and feel like a nag. But she and I devised a program where his Mountain Dew, she got bubbly water and some honey and some lemonade and made him his soda. And he did not become a perfect eater, but he made some changes. And she never had trouble getting pregnant. They got pregnant. They finally carried the baby once he made some nutrition changes, which probably helped weight, which helped other things, you know. So it is so important for the man to be making necessary lifestyle changes for conception. Yeah, 15% of the equation. In the very beginning, we were just coaching women. We're like, we're missing this whole other other piece, even though we're we're focusing on female fertility. It's you know, even if the man said his semen is perfect, there's always things he can do to work on his health. And even from a mental, emotional standpoint, right? So even men and women will handle this journey differently. It's not to say that a man isn't in pain. And a lot of it is like seeing the partner go through this and then also obviously wanting to expand the family. So yeah, it is a, and it, you don't want to be, because this journey can rip you apart, right? So there's things you can do to bring it back together and pointing a finger saying, he didn't do this and he didn't do that will serve no one. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But sometimes, you know, and I could, without, I don't try to be a marital counselor. I don't try to cause marital discord. But sometimes part of my role, I see it as helping a woman strengthen up, stand up straight. I like to call it tits up and be able to say to her partner without feeling like she's threatening the end of the marriage that you have to do this. And it goes beyond just putting out plenty of patients. And I put the pill out and he doesn't take it. I had a patient once who they'd been married 13 years. They were both health professionals. They had quite a nice life and marriage in 13 years. And then they finally realized, oh my gosh, we better get around to this. And I talked to them about, you know, hot tubs will kill all the sperms, stuff like that. And she's, oh my gosh, my husband loves this hot tub. So she goes home, she tells him, oh, sorry, honey, no more hot tub. And he's like, oh, okay, okay. So then she comes home one day and she sees the wet shorts on the side of the hot tub. She lost it. And she said, if you don't want to have a baby with me, I will find someone who does, you know, and I don't know really what she meant by that. And that was pretty harsh. You want to, at that point, go to marital counseling or something, work it out. But he then realized how important it was for him to get on board. And they got pregnant, had, I think, two or three children when he wasn't sneaking around going in the hot tub, which for those of your listeners who don't know, sperm doesn't even like 98.6 degrees. That's why it's in the testicles, which are on the outside of the body. And hot tubs are too warm. It will die. By the time a man is just stepping out of the hot tub, he's already manufactured 5,000, but that's pretty low and he wouldn't be up to full count, his full count for 72 days. So it's, it can be a longer time to conception if a man is liking things like his hot tub. So Yeah, you got to have those open conversations, right? <laughs> if you're just, and then it is sort of the intention of, okay, what are we doing here as a couple? Do we want to have this baby or what? Like, cause it's not about this, just the woman making the changes I've done many episodes all on male factor. There's lots of things that the male partner can do <laughs> for sure. And then 
What anything else on yeah, when do you use acupuncture? We've done many episodes on acupuncture, but how do you bring it into your practice? What are you doing there? Okay. It starts with a full assessment to see what would be the right protocol. Primarily, acupuncture is my primary tool, but it is not the only tool. I don't feel that I'm qualified as an herbalist and I believe in food as medicine. So that is such an important pillar of my practice. But with acupuncture, I think I know you did have a podcast on acupuncture, but just briefly, we're looking to see in Eastern medicine, it's not so different from the Western view of the body, but there are some differences and it's the energy within our body, the meridians, like You've seen this person before and the lines of energy, and there are little areas that are the points. And this energy, I assess that based on a lot of questions that I ask a person. And then the particular points I would use come from that assessment. People come to me and know I do not have a one size fits all. And so for some people where, for example, they're showing blood deficiency, and that is the body signs for that might be anything from pale tongue to fatigue to being cold. And what's our warmth? That's our blood. If that's drained, we're cold and stiff. So I will look to see what deficiencies do they have in the very basic essence of our body. For example, our moisture principle, you know, it's, it's actually very easy to become dehydrated. Western medicine only sounds an alarm when you're basically perhaps having very extreme signs of dehydration, and then you'll be given an IV. In Eastern medicine, it's a very humanistic view that we as human beings are delicate flowers. And just like delicate flowers, we're part of nature. And just like nature, we don't want to have too much water like I do to my orchids and I kill them or not enough water, my other plants. And uh, we can't be too cold because, uh, you know, every year I read about some poor drunk who came home late at night and froze to death on his porch because he didn't get in because our cells are water. High heat, that's a fever, you will die. But if you take all of that and you say best health, best reproductive energies and enhancement comes when we're moderate, we're the right body temperature, we have the right water on board, we have not. So all of these things are taken into consideration. And for some people, for example, if they're ovulating regularly, they know what their body signs are, they're having enough intercourse, and intercourse at the right time and other times, I don't have them come very often for acupuncture, because I don't believe I know I'm different than a lot of acupuncturists. I don't believe in treating for general balance. What does that mean? That doesn't mean anything to me. And I don't even think I ever even heard it mentioned in China. I treat for low blood deficiency. And thyroid, for example, would be yang deficiency because yang is our heat principle. So I would want to make, I will do this assessment, come up with a plan that may be primarily nutritional or primarily, you know what? you guys need to see a marital concern. Here's a really good one. You know, so I don't treat when there's no reason to treat. Now, unexplained infertility is a perfect example of, okay, the numbers are right. Why isn't this happening? Then I take a deep dive and I say, okay, show me when you had intercourse. Tell me when your mucus came. We're going to Monday morning quarterback your last cycle. So yeah, I really think that with that acupuncture is part of my approach, but it's really much broader than that. Yeah. Unexplained infertility is completely, you know, well, it's a lazy diagnosis where someone's not digging deeper because people worry there's going to be nothing, but there's always something that conventional medicine has missed. Right. So at the sun here, yeah, I'm just talking about a plant there, my plant behind me, the little bamboo plant where I'm like 
what did I do? I overwatered it and then I had to snip it down. And now I'm like, it's kind of trying to come back. So I'm just going to leave it because I just, I either ignored it or I gave it too much love. So <laughs> don't look at flowers like that. And that's, right? I call it the Goldilocks principle. You don't want to be too hot. You don't want to be too cold. You don't want to be too dry. You don't want to have a lot of dampness in your body, you know, and that's the beauty and simplicity of the Eastern point of view. I mean, and we're, it's not different than the Western point of view. Yeah. We know that dehydration kills. And we know not having enough hemoglobin and iron is going to lead to a lot of problems. But it's just, as I said, a more poetic view of the body. Yeah, I was dehydrated for years. I, so I remember thinking, I'm like, I don't even have time to pee. I pee like, I don't know, during the workday, like once. I'm like, who's got time to pee? And now I'm like, now I drink more water. And then obviously I have to pee a little more frequently. But and then the more water you drink, the better you feel. And yeah, and then that's, you know, helping your cervical mucus and all parts of your body. Yeah. Absolutely. Same thing goes for a man's, you talk about your cervical mucus, a man's, you know, they only pay attention to three barometers on a man's sperm report, the motility, you know, how swimming, how many there are and what shape it is. But if you look at a sperm count report, there's like probably depending on what lab or what fertility center, nine other things. One of them is viscosity. One of it is how sticky it is. Well, if you can imagine sperm trying to climb out of sticky ejaculate, and many women will tell me, yeah, I know my husband, he doesn't drink a lot. Well, this is a simple thing he can do if his viscosity report is bad. No one ever pays attention to that, but they need to drink. And men do the same thing that women do. You get busy at work and you don't drink. What were you doing that your job was keeping you from drinking? I just wasn't thirsty. <laughs> Right. It was just, I didn't, and now I'm like, I know it's like, I don't leave the house without my water bottle. I need to always, you know, the more I drink and now like I'm down to, I got nothing left in this drink right now. I'm like, sneak off and get it, you know, fill up. It just wasn't in my daily repertoire. And now it's, I'd say to people like throw away, you know, your glass or your stainless steel water bottle and just have it beside you and just sort of sip. And sometimes, you know, if you're not absorbing then the water, that's a whole other thing. But yeah, it's, I think so many of us are chronically dehydrated and we're drinking all the like, yeah, pops and soda and all the rest of it. Okay, let's talk about your book, Who Stole My Ovaries? Enhancing Health to Improve Fertility, Recalibrating After Infertility, IVF, Pregnancy and Miscarriages, Your Important Questions Answered. So there it is. She's got it in front of her there for people that are listening, but in the video, beautiful. Share with us, Jane, why did you write this book and what can they learn in it? First of all, I wrote it for my patients, for the patients I'll never see because I was sort of retiring after decades in nursing and then 25 years in fertility care. And I thought COVID was my message from the universe to retire. But then in the fertility, some of them were closed. I get a lot of referrals from them. But then little by little, I got back in to, I was getting phone calls. People were very sad. I have a hard time saying, no, I can't see you. But tell me, Sarah, can you tell what this is on the cover? It's like the uterus and the fallopian tubes? Or it's, oh, it's a flower. Oh, it's a little pet. What is that? Yeah, there's something there. Got it all. You got it all right. What okay, is good. A teapot. So this okay. is This is the womb. This is fallopian tube, ovary. These cups, each teacup represents the first part of meiosis when a cell, one cell becomes two, two become four, and it goes through this process. And this was a ceramic made by a friend of mine who was a labor and delivery nurse. And she went back to school to get an MFA in ceramics. And so a lot of her work was informed by the work she'd been doing for 25 years. She's got ceramic speculums. She's got all kinds of interesting things, diaphragms. And you they're very artistic, though. You wouldn't know at first glance what these things were. Maybe you'd never know if you didn't know anatomy or medical tools. And I've always loved her work. 
and her name is in here. I, I credit her, but I wanted something, you know how it is. By the time someone comes to you, they've already read a lot. They've already listened to a lot of podcasts, good ones like yours. They have done chat rooms and they have reached out in so many ways and they have so much information coming at them and they've just are hungry for more information, even with that overload. And I thought, you know what? I want something I can give to people that I cannot see because they live in other cities or I'm not in practice anymore. That is sort of a one source for many of the things that brings it all together and crystallizes what I have found. And in my opinion, are the most important things. So, you know, I have sections are all small. I have a section on nutrition and sort of the mythology about supplements. I have a section on stress. And once again, people blame themselves. Oh, I'm so stressed. This is why this is happening. But as you probably know, Stress does not cause infertility, but infertility causes stress. So I have tools and strategies for, it's kind of a little bit like a flying short course, yet I think I leave the door open for people if they're like, yes, that's me. I need to look at, at, you know, find a functional nutritionist, do more with this or this. And the reason I put your important questions answered, the whole book is, I always enjoy answering questions, even if I've been asked the same question so many times. But there are questions that are so common. And I thought, well, I'm going to start with the questions that my patients routinely ask, you know, and it's everything from, can I drink caffeine? And I have found usually by the time someone gets to me, because they don't come because they're not having any problems, they come because they have a problem. So they've already researched, should I drink caffeine? Should I not? So what I try is answer my honest answers that usually deal with moderation, not the no carbohydrate unless you have celiac, no meat, no, if you like meat, no ice cream, if you have it in moderation. So don't get into the, what I call the no diets, just, you know, really emphasizing things like fruits and vegetables. And I get into, wow, the information on all the environmental chemicals, it's overwhelming. And so I try to give some research I try to convince people and I give simple checklists for how to get the plastic out of your life. And so, you know, I kind of contradicted myself saying people have already read enough, just, you know, put all that stuff away. But I'm really proud of my book and happy with it and got some great reviews on it. The doctors in town really like it. And, you know, I find I do get a lot of referrals, but it does sometimes tend to be like they really don't have anything more to offer the person you know, person may or may not want to do IVF. They may have been exhausted. You know, they need someone to take over this person's care because they feel badly. They do want people to be able to have their baby to take home. But being that they do, you know, interventions and they primarily write prescriptions, they have nothing else to offer. And I feel that my book encapsulates what patients can, people struggling can look for. Great. So definitely check that out. Who stole my ovaries? Enhancing health and to improve fertility and recalibrating after infertility, IVF, pregnancy, miscarriages, and your important questions answered. You can find that on Amazon. And so Jane, what are some final thoughts for us today on today's chat? Let me just end with this one story. And I wasn't prepared for this question, but a new reproductive endocrinologist came to town and she wanted to call on me to introduce herself, you know, refer back and forth. And she said, well, I tell patients that you're going to have your baby. You will have a baby if you just keep trying. Now, she was an interventionist. She did primarily IVF. And at first I thought, well, that's rather haughty. That's rather judgmental. That's rather not necessarily true. And perhaps even dangerous to tell a patient that maybe there is a time for acceptance and resolution and and so on. But what she meant was that there are many things to do, many things to try 
you know, whether it's donor eggs or sperm or, or surrogate or whatever, that to just, she said, you will have your baby if you just keep trying. Now, for some people that don't want to try everything. And that's what I feel like. Like if you just keep trying and you are willing and find the strength within you to make some of the changes that you don't know whether they'll be the, the thing that really tips the scales, but you just have to keep trying and find good practitioners that you can relate to. If you have a fertility team at a clinic and you don't feel they're responsive or they're not getting back to you or whatever it is, and to look at, evaluate complementary and alternative methods, do your homework and keep trying. Yeah, I love that. Having like an open mind. Sometimes we have this very rigid path of how we thought it was going to happen. If we just open up and then we see other things and we're start being aware of other things. So thanks so much, Jane, for sharing your words of wisdom on this topic. It was great. I really appreciate you having me. Awesome. Thank you. I would like to invite you and your partner to a supercharge your fertility discovery call. This call is for you if you meet at least one of the following criteria. You've been trying to get pregnant for at least two years. You've been through at least one failed IUI or IVF. This call is for action takers. If you're not ready and you wait, the risk is you'll need to wait two to three months for a spot to open up. If you're seriously considering work with us, go to fabfertile.com. That's fabfertile.com and click on apply here. That's fabfertile, fabfertile.com and click on apply here. Then you'll be booked in and ready to spend 30 minutes to give you the action plan to getting pregnant naturally. The Get Pregnant Naturally podcast, including show notes and links, provides information with respect to healthy living, nutrition, lab testing, and is intended for informational purposes only. The information provided is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, nor is it to be construed as such. We cannot guarantee that the information provided on the Get Pregnant Naturally podcast reflects the most up-to-date medical research. Information is provided without representation or warranties of any kind. Please consult a qualified physician for medical advice and always seek the advice of a qualified health care provider with any questions you may have regarding your health and nutrition program.